Welcome to Speaker for the Living, a podcast that explores human trafficking, forced labor, and all things related. My name is Seth Dare. I am the host of the podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, JJ Jenflone. Hello, JJ. What up? How are you doing? This is our first podcast of 2018. Thanks to all of you who have listened. We uh, hope you've found it informative and helpful. Our plan for today was to talk about National Human Trafficking Month. Uh January has been decreed by our government, the U.S. government, as National Human Trafficking Month, and many organizations talk about human trafficking more during this month. However, and this is the reason for the explicit rating in this podcast, earlier this week, shithole happened. (laughs) As it does. So yes, this is, uh, it is January 14th when we are recording this on, I believe it was Thursday. Yeah, Thursday. That is what is said to have happened at the White House. And uh, there's a narrative there, which we'll get into. But first, JJ, why does something like this relate to human trafficking? Yeah, well, I... This is, this is Seth and I being very frustrated. It's a frustrating month for human trafficking advocates, even though it's supposed to be sort of a celebration of being smart about it. No, so here's, here's where we are. When you say that, and we'll, and we'll talk about whether he said it or not, we're going to get to that. When you say that there is a list of countries that are shitholes or that are undeserving um, of attention or that people coming from them are coming away from a place that is chronically bad and attempting to, you know, somehow take, take something away from the U S by coming only increases sort of stick the stereotypes surrounding people who are, who are human trafficked. So for example, if one of the countries listed was Haiti. Okay. And so the U S gets, um, also, uh, El Salvador. So there are thousands upon thousands of people who come from Haiti and El Salvador to the U.S. every year, and there are thousands upon thousands of people who are who identify as Haitian or El Salvadorian in the U.S. The reason why people come from Haiti and El Salvador to the U.S. is for a wide variety of reasons. They can be going to escape violence. They can be coming for economic opportunity. They can be coming to join communities of family and friends that are already here, better education opportunities, etc. There's a number of reasons. But the reasons that we normally see amongst the population that is trafficked is that it is people who are attempting to find a better life via either economic opportunity or freedom from violence or some other form of oppression. So when you label the country that they're coming from a shithole that they couldn't possibly want to return to or a country that is full of a population of quote-unquote bad people, you're putting this population that has already been harmed in a really rough space. Furthermore, the comment came during a conversation about whether or not these people from from these populations, whether they should be provided with protections under U.S. law. And immigration policy always has an impact on human trafficking. Oh, it, always. It's partially because people do not feel that they can talk to law enforcement or that they're afraid of being deported, that they're then easier to exploit. And there have been previous comments, I want to say back in, in December, that was reported on, the New York Times reported on it, saying that 
there have been comments from from people working within the White House and Trump himself that people in Haiti all have AIDS or diseased, um, that Nigerian immigrants or African immigrants more largely would never go back to their huts, you know, that they're not intending on coming to the U.S. and then leaving. And then other comments that um, we've talked about in previous podcasts that complained that um, to be from Afghanistan or a Middle Eastern country more more largely is to is to have terrorist sympathy. So there's a number of problems with all of that. All right. So how we got here, and this is based on me listening to lots of podcasts, including The Weeds, to reading lots of articles. So here's my understanding. So the Senate, in trying to figure out what does the White House want? What, what is a realistic agenda for immigration that they can come together with to save DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, and... The White House, or I should say Stephen Miller representing the White House, has twice sent what I would call the kitchen sink request that wants everything very hard line, uh, like $19 billion for the wall. In other words, it's something that senators wouldn't consider a good faith gesture at work and doesn't give them much to figure out, well, what what can we realistically do? What What is the compromise? What is the deal? So then they have to base it on words from the Trump administration, words from Donald Trump, and then come together into this meeting and say, okay, and and let's be clear about a few things. (laughs) Most notably, Donald Trump has mischaracterized diversity visa process. Yes. So what he said isn't accurate, but there are multiple opinions on that visa. And there are people who think, yeah, maybe we should have done away with it. And so the senators came, and they're willing to get do away with it. However, they were looking at, okay, we're not going to have the, the diversity lotto process for those 50,000 visas, but we're still going to allocate those visas. And they wanted to allocate them two, diff- two different ways. Some of them going to people on temporary protected status. So Haiti has already had that lifted as of November. People that are here from Haiti, and then they're going to lift it. I believe they're still going to do it from El Salvador. And there's a lot of people from El Salvador here. So when you hear Haiti and El Salvador brought into the discussion, that's the most relevant way is from TPS. And so applying visas to TPS then gets us alleged comments by Trump of why do we need more Haitians? Take them out. And so when we have people that debate, first of all, whether Donald Trump said shithole countries There is a narrative here where it would be helpful to have a full transcript to say, well, if he didn't say the word shithole, how did that meeting go? What was said? And if this narrative that I'm not finished reading yet, if this is not true, what is? Because what I'm already looking at is highly problematic. I think people are focusing on the language because it's just, just kind of shocking. It's... Well, we've always had presidents who, like, say terribly vulgar things, or, you know, LBJ was really fond of having meetings while he sat on the toilet. Like, well, we've always had sort of these sort of vulgar moments. I think that this is the first president we've had who maybe just because of the tweeting or the social media or just sort of the way that our access to presidents has, you know, gotten greater with every year, that it's this constant stream of what he's thinking, what he's feeling, and added with sort of the rise of nationalism that's sort of spreading worldwide, it leads to this combination where you go, okay, well, like, that doesn't seem shocking to me that this would be a thing that would be said. So as they continued, they were talking about Africa, and that is where 
it was alleged while they were talking about reallocating visas to Africa because we still want to get people who have a hard time getting a visa who might be from poor countries we, or, or might just be poor where it's expensive to go through the process. We want to get them visas as well and give them a process. So in talking about Africa, it's Trump saying, why are we having all these people from shithole countries come here? Now, if he didn't say shithole, if he said crappy, if he said worthless, if he said lousy, I still feel really bad and find this highly problematic from an international relations perspective. So in a sense, it almost doesn't matter whether he said shithole because there's a conversation that has to be looked at here that I have not heard dismissed. But things that make it likely that he did, that Donald Trump has a history of comments that people say are racist. I'm not saying they are on and mentioning that, but I just want to say that there is, there's that. But to remove the labels from his language, Donald Trump uses dehumanizing language and uses uh -huh. verbally abusive language. That shouldn't really be debatable. It's the way he talks uh -huh. about his opponents. He talks about people who wrong him in some way or stand up to him. Like, he does that. So the White House had a chance to respond to this on Thursday and they did not deny it in their initial response. Fox News is said to have had a source to confirm it. There's been more than one source. So this, the Democratic senator is not the only source on this. So there's all of that. As we continue the podcast, I'm assuming he said it. Uh -huh. More importantly, this was leaked. And there is not a strong enough narrative that he didn't say it. The White House has not handled this well. And so it's out to the world, and the world believes he said it. Yeah. So this has international implications, which we're going to talk about more in a bit. It has major implications that are not being talked about enough, because that's actually where I have the biggest problem with this. And even that we have a denial from one of the Republicans there, one or two people who said they don't remember hearing it. Why give yourself a way out? Why not just say categorically? He didn't say it. Yeah, and I, again, it's it's the history of commentary that's been very dismissive of other countries and the people they're from, particularly countries that have people of color, while uplifting mm -hmm. countries with Caucasian people and saying, you know, we should have more of those sorts of people in the U.S., et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that, I think, is then also leading people to whether or not there's actually a transcript of mm -hmm. that being said, believing it was said, or that if it wasn't said. Right. Well, and it's the comparison it's with shocking. Norway that ultimately makes it a racist comment as alleged. Like, it would be probably racist otherwise based on colonial history, but then when the, ex the counterexample is Norway, then it just is a racist comment. But I realize I'm not going to convince all of you of that so if bigoted or dehumanizing works better for you, go with it. Because whether it's racist or not is not what's important to me. So, the reasons why this is problematic. It's problematic because a number of people, including me, think that there's sufficient evidence that speechwriter and immigration policy advocate Stephen Miller in the White House, there's evidence he's a white nationalist. What does that mean? White nationalists want less black and brown people. 
They also use non-racial reasons if they can to justify it. Jobs, culture, culture is the big one. And they want to do that through legal means as much as possible. They also really don't like Muslims. So regardless of what Donald Trump is and what he believes, when you have people like Stephen Miller in an influential position who are writing speeches that are highly nationalistic and overlap with white nationalism and where he's part of advocating policies to let's keep as many Muslims out as we can. Let's keep as many many black and brown people from developing countries out of here as we can. Where when there's a deal on the table where the problem is the type of people because they're from a certain country, it sure comes across as it sure sounds we don't want any more black and brown people than we need to. It's, it's also complicated when you have people from these countries who are doing quite well, who are quite educated, who have a high median income in the United States, looking at people as if they're just poor and don't have something to offer, when in actuality, if we had a merit, fully merit-based system, there would be a number of people from African countries coming here. Some would argue we might even have more. So then we have referring to countries as shitholes. To read a few comments, here's Tommy Lauren, Fox News contributor, formerly on The Blaze. Quote, If they aren't shithole countries, why don't their citizens stay there? Let's be honest. Call it like it is. Now, first thing I would say is there are countries that could be in a better state, but I wouldn't call any of them a shithole. I wouldn't even call them crappy. I've been to Uganda. It's not the most developed place in the world. It has beauty. It has an infrastructure of some sort. It some places better than others. The people, like everywhere, are mixed. But I met some really beautiful people. Really friendly. Lots of kindness. I have some good friends who've adopted from Haiti. My dad went to Haiti a number of times. It serves no good purpose to call countries shitholes. It's not particularly loving. It's not, in my opinion, accurate. So Ben Shapiro is the uh, Daily Wire editor-in-chief. He's better than some. I find him a mixed bag and kind of an enigma. And so on Fox News, he was talking about things like, well, media is upset about the language. And to be fair to the president, some countries are really crappy, all right? I I have no reason to equivocate on this or to be Uh fair to the president, but I will be a little bit fair to Ben Shapiro. Ben also did tweet, we should all be able to agree to two basic propositions. One, it is inarguable that some countries are crappy. I would argue it, but I know what he's getting at. Number two of his tweet, it is bigotry to suggest that all people who want to immigrate from those countries to America are crappy. I wish everyone agreed with that, but let's go with it. It is bigotry to suggest that all people who want to immigrate from those countries to America are crappy. And in my debates on Facebook with some people, some of whom are Christian conservatives who who want to say, well, would you travel to these countries? Yes, actually I would. The big problem with that, in addition to comparing it to Norway, the biggest issue was the suggestion that because countries are shitholes, therefore, why do we want those people? 
Thoughts, JJ? Well, as as someone whose whose grandparents were immigrants from Italy at a time in, in the early 1900s when Italy would have been labeled a shithole by the U.S., uh, a little offended. Um, but I mean, it's it's an excellent quote. It's one just as as a student of international relations and as, as someone who does a lot of work in this field, you never ever open as a leader of the quote-unquote free world with a, well, this country's just a piece of, those other countries are just pieces of shit. It's, it's just not a good uh, bargaining position. No. So, shall we say, from which to start. So it's just not smart. Like, whether you whether you like Trump or not, it, it's just, it's not smart policy on his end to do that. I know that there are a lot of his supporters who, who have quite liked the fact that they see Trump is not playing the political game because of his willingness to be sort of insane with the commentary he makes to sort of other foreign leaders or about other foreign countries but this is just not this is this makes it very difficult for policy to move forward in other areas when you've told other leaders that you find their countries to be shitty secondly to, to go back to your thing about um when you're talking about uganda and haiti and some of the people being there that it's the same everywhere right i've i've lived all across the u.s and there are there are some cities that i've loved and some that i've hated i've met lots of nice people i've met lots of shitty people it's just it's just the way of the world right when you're talking about countries though like haiti like uganda like el salvador you're talking about countries that have had at least in the last i would say five decades a lot of instability due in part to intervention and action by outside countries either playing out their conflicts through them uh through a history of colonization through things like the drug war or sort of the west's desire for drugs as in the case of el salvador and then also through just sort of tragedy, environmental instability, natural disasters, things like that. And that's not the fault of the people that live there, right? Think about the average American. We have very little, if any, control over mass policy. We can vote on certain things and certain actions, but when it comes to sort of the day-to-day running of the government, there are things that are far bigger than us, right? You know, I'm not I'm someone who I think is a little bit more keyed in than maybe the average person just because it's my job to be, like, to know what's going on. But, like, let's be honest, I have no idea what's going on in Washington. Like, I'm not I'm not invited to, like, backroom deals. <laughs> I have no power. And so to assume that the average Haitian living on the street who goes, hey, I, I, I'm going to have to try and, and get out of here in order to, to better provide for a family member that might be sick or ill, that they somehow are also part of a, a government that routinely doesn't allow food subsidies to come to its people like that's that's not there's there's a disconnect there and so that bothers me a lot on that end for all of the countries listed as shithole countries i have friends that are from there or i have people who do work there i mean if you look listen to any of our our, our podcast videos with monica peterson our, our friend monica it was the recent anniversary of um her passing monica loved haiti loved it was devoted to it I've met a number of El Salvadorian academics that are doing phenomenal work when it comes to fighting for, for gender parity. It just all, it's, to, to have a country be reduced to a quote-unquote shithole is, is nonsensical, and it's also just not helpful, right? And Seth and I know that this is actually going to directly hurt people, because this trickles down, right? So 
law enforcement being less likely to believe people who are from these countries who report trafficking incidences. People from these countries who are trafficked, uh, trafficked into the U.S. being less likely to think that an American will help them, so less likely to report because they're viewed as um, being uh, criminals first. Traffickers being able to tell victims, well, no one will believe you anyway because you're just a Ugandan in the u.s why would anyone believe you et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. so it's just it's it it seems silly sometimes this stuff because it seems just like kind of like the same like political hyperbole that just like pops up but nevertheless this lingers this has it has, has a lot of impact on the day-to-day lives of people who are, are have already been victimized long before before they hit the the u.s well and to be straightforward for a moment It is very naive to think that the president of of the United States can say whatever he wants. Oh, yeah, no, no. There are circumstances for most people in life where you cannot say whatever you want in every situation and get away with it. There's a reason why the, the word politically correct has the word political in it. Because there are certain things you don't say. Because if you do it will have implications. In this case, if this were just a matter of people's feelings being hurt or people's sensibilities, that would be one thing. But that's like toward the higher end of outcomes. Most of the outcomes we're thinking about are much worse. We need to work with these countries. We need to work with all the countries in Africa. Some of them including Chad, which we had this issue with visas because we said we don't want you here because you didn't file paperwork in time. They are some country that we work with for anti-terrorism efforts. Yep. Well, but it's also if even if we don't necessarily work directly with a country, if we work direct, if we work with another country that directly works with them, this produces a problem because the world, the world is not sort of this sort of linear relationship. It's think, mm-hmm. The way I try to explain it to people is that think about office politics, right? We all have that one person in our office. I like to, I like to just use, use the phrase, uh, like, say, like, a Barbara, because that to me seems like a lady who's angry all the time. If your name is Barbara, I apologize. But, like, everyone has, like, their office Barbara or, like, Bob, right? It's somebody you just do not like. You hate them for whatever reason. You don't want to have any interaction with them. But they're best friends with Janet. And Janet, you actually like. And Janet's the only one who knows how to work the copy machine. So you have to be nice to Barbara because otherwise it'll really complicate your relationship, Janet. And that's what, like, adulthood is. You have to sort of make these, you know, um, exceptions. This, This is played out in the same way. So you may not love, for example, on the U.S. end, may not love the way that, say... Japan and the Philippines interact with one another on a number of policy issues related to like the South China Sea in particular. But because they've got to work with, with both of them in different ways are very careful in like managing that minefield. The Russia, Russia and the U S don't really like each other all that much, but they got to be really careful because of this North Korea situation. That's you just have to be cautious. And the minute you start tweeting or saying publicly that one country uh, is a shithole or just a bad place or again I go back to the comment particularly um, about people in Africa living in huts which isn't even true uh, for the most part it just uh, it's 
not good. Not good. It's just not good policy. Well, we have troops in Africa. We have embassies in Africa. The, we have UN the ambush in Africa. The ambush was in Niger, and we were cooperating with Niger in that. There are implications for travel, both sides, both that you have people from Africa that are tourists in the United States, and you have Americans who are tourists in, quote, shithole countries. Not to mention that countries pay a lot of money to have tourism campaigns to get people to come, as well as investment. Some of the opportunity is in these countries, and China is already investing with less strings attached for natural resources in Africa, in multiple countries. And this just gives them one more leg up to say, America thinks you're a shithole. Take our money. Thus, China has another strategic opportunity, which is already how they see it with the Trump administration. That's been said to people that this is an opportunity for them. But it gets worse because you do have dictators who I don't have a high regard for. If you want to call some of them shit, I might not feel as bad, but I also don't think that's particularly helpful. That you have people, both terrorist organizations and authoritarians, who will use this against America. Like, that's not, I guess, that is probably already happening, and that will happen. It's one reason to not trust America. It's a, a reason to recruit, because America thinks you're shit. And this is where, you know, all the blame doesn't get on Trump. He ultimately said it, which is the biggest problem. But then it gets leaked, and then it's out there, and then the White House handles it extremely poorly. Their damage control was focused more on what do Americans think than what does the world think. This is a big deal. This is a very big deal. And it's, it's not huge. because he said shit. It's because this will have international reverberations and hurt yeah. our entire U.S. policy agenda. And not just for the countries we're talking about. For one, it'll make people wonder, what does he think of us? Does he think India is a shithole? Does he think the Philippines are a shithole? Does he have another word that he prefer to use that's almost as dehumanizing? All I think about is if 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 you ever listen to like the Nixon tapes, remember when um, Richard Nixon um, it leaked tapes of sort of him and, and other people speaking in the White House, very uh, harshly, disrespectfully, hatefully about a variety of groups in the U.S. Um, from Jewish people to African Americans uh, to the Irish uh, to other foreign dignitaries, it was huge news because here was a U.S. president, even a U.S. president who was no longer president. Uh, quite shockingly, he got into a plane, made a peace gesture, and just took off. Um, the fact that he would say such things on record was shocking and continues to be brought up sometimes. In, in conversations between countries. So for something new to be said, like, this is huge. This is a huge thing. Well, and Media Matters compiled a list of responses. Now, Media Matters is biased, clearly, but they also have quotes, and they have links to the quotes. And of all the things that bother me, I am very, very concerned and disillusioned, frankly, of how many people 
excuse, support, or restate what Donald Trump is supposed to have said. So this is where, let's say, for sake of discussion, that Donald Trump did not say any of this. The fact that people are defending what he allegedly said, that they are defending comments that are dehumanizing, that they are endorsing it, is highly disillusioning. And the fact that some of these people are evangelicals, and that I have talked with evangelicals online, that this is being endorsed. I mean, really? I mean, this is the idea of looking at the world and caring about it and going to places that some might consider shitholes, places that are very developing, places that are very poor, even cities that are very poor. Back when I was in Christian identity, which you know, I have to admit is racist, I didn't then because I had the cognitive dissonance to believe a lie, that I didn't care about other countries other than for like nationalist ego. And what changed me, one of the big things, were people I knew who were missionaries and people from other countries who were Christian, who showed me beauty, who showed me that I can learn from other cultures. And I am not equating other cultures. Female genital mutilation is horrid. Honor killings are horrid, to give really two big examples that I find horrible. But there's a lot of differences. There, there's things that I can appreciate about other cultures without demonizing them or glorifying them. The pace of life, the value of relationships in a number of third world countries. So, so when you have people like a few of these quotes here, Jesse Walters from Fox, this is how the forgotten men and women in America talk. Well, I would hope not, and I'm thankful for uh -huh. National Review columnist Jonah Goldberg for criticizing Jesse Walters for saying that, saying no, or Jesse Waters to be specific. Yeah. But then you have Ann Coulter, who likes to be provocative. That's what she is. Okay, yes, Trump shouldn't call them shithole countries. A little respect is in order. They are shithole nations. You know, again, she's being provocative, but it doesn't matter you say that, you're on record. And that's only some of the defenses. Thankfully, some of these people are fringe. Like, come on, does it really take much to do what Paul Ryan did and say, hey, this was unfortunate. And Paul Ryan's being diplomatic. I would like to see him stand up more, but I understand his position. And hey, he said something. So he said they were unfortunate. But hey, I think of my own family and my own history and I think of the, the people that I know that are doctors from from an African country and he gives a positive counter narrative. You know, it's not really that difficult. It's not that difficult to do that and reframe it as something positive. It's not hard to stay silent apparently, since many people have. But hey, at least you didn't defend it. And I'm just blown away and, and amazed at uh, what I've learned about people. And let's be clear about something else. As I said, I consider myself in the past a racist, even though I didn't think I was then. And I don't think I have removed all stereotypes from myself. That I never am going to look at anybody and 
have a reaction based on their culture or color of skin. Mm-hmm. I, I view all of you know stereotypes and racism and bigotry to be something that can easily pervade, and that's partially because I also believe in a sin nature, which in essence means that, from a certain manner of speaking, nobody has a high moral high ground. That doesn't mean we shouldn't critique. Try. So this just all really amazes me, and I think it's the most upsetting thing since Trump took office, for me. And that's based more on the reaction to it and the defense of it than anything else. Because I consider this indefensible, and the fact that people would even try to equivocate blows me away. Yeah, whenever you have um, sort of elite members of, of the KKK retweeting the president saying, you know, well, we were losing hope in, in his ability to be um, incredibly racist, but this is just proven he's one of us. Not a good, not a good moment. Or white nationalist Nick Fuentes, who said, Haiti is a shithole, and of course it was Haitians who made it this way. So let's talk about the United States. Briefly, the United States' contribution to Haiti, to where we blackballed them after the slave rebellion because we were scared that we would have a slave rebellion too in the 1800s, didn't recognize them for over 50 years, then we occupied them in the early 1900s, but even better, talk about Africa. A lot of that's on Europe. Not that you can take the U.S. out of it. But the DRC, Democratic Republic of the Congo, it's on public record that it was a CIA-backed coup that was very expensive that put Mobutu in power and kept his government not overly strong. No, sir, he was complicit in that. It's not all on the United States. But we have a country, DRC, which... You know, if you're going to come up with a, a list of countries in Africa that have shithole status, well, failed states, you, you could make the strongest argument for. And the United States helped make it that way very directly. So we can't just look at these countries, place all the blame on them and say they're shitholes and we shouldn't let their people here as if U.S. policy has nothing to do with it. And I just picked two easy targets just now. Uh-huh. I am not saying we then open the borders and let everybody in. But that's part of the point. Let's not oversimplify. So, bring it back to trafficking. I mean, migrant flows are part of trafficking. There's reasons why people migrate. Oh, not everyone wants to come here. Not everyone yeah, wants to stay here. It's we, we bear in mind that a lot of people who are trafficked in, into the U.S., we're not intention. We're not trying to get necessarily to the U.S. As we've talked about when we've talked about the rest of the system, there are children um, and young adults that are trafficked from Haiti to work in U.S. households that have not consented to this. They didn't sign up for this. They didn't agree to this. Nevertheless, it happened to them. Well, in that immigration is not necessarily a permanent thing. There are people who want to be immigrants in the true sense of the word, but then there are people who want to be migrants. It's historically clear that when we had a more open border that people from south of the border would come up, work, and return home. All of them? Uh No, not all of them, but lots. If we're going to have a narrative of everyone should be in their own culture and enjoy their own country and all that jazz, and hey, all the other countries have raped and pillaged us with taking all of our jobs, and yet people move from their countries because there's jobs. So which is it? Well, people do actually like their cultures, 
they might actually like the United States too. There's been mm-hmm. people, I think it was on Code Switch that I heard this, where they'd moved from an African country and they were here and they found out it was hard and one of them ended up moving back. It doesn't mean that they regretted moving here, but it can be hard to go to another country. It can be hard to work. And it doesn't mean that somebody's going to stay permanently. And it's very arrogant and ethnocentric to think we're so great. Everyone wants to come here. And if we don't keep them out, they will come here. And hey, all of their cultures can assimilate. I mean, how negative a view of the world. But then there's also to bear in mind that there that there are hundreds of thousands of American expats around the world who, who live and work in other countries for a period of time. Mm-hmm. We've both been them. <laughs> so there, you know, there's, there's something to be said. People, people travel and ultimately people travel for, for work, for love, for opportunity, for school, for education. But then people go home again. Well, and two of the biggest reasons why people do come to another country, their own country is destabilized and even more so jobs economic Mm -hmm. migrants to send money home or to make money for a time and return home and yes some people to move and stay that's the international migration situation and listening to so many people get it wrong learn how international migration works and why people migrate which ties into trafficking very directly so those were my top of mind thoughts yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat. It's just what people have to remember about policy is that, like, even if you don't necessarily see something in U.S. policy or sort of comments being made reflecting back on trafficking, they do. They do. There, there are mass impacts. And, you know, we're sorry that we started off our podcast with, like, angry faces. We were, we were going to do a nice, like, little breakdown of, like, what human trafficking month means. But the world doesn't let us. But hey, if some people are praising Trump for his authenticity, well, I can hope that uh, you appreciate our authenticity today. Mm-hmm. It's those challenge. I don't want to dehumanize anybody. I don't want to paint a picture about what you believe, knowing that you likely have reasons and, and, and they might be nuanced too. Mm-hmm. But I don't perceive the world to be a shithole. I don't perceive countries to be a shithole. I don't find it a very Christian way to look at the world. And definitely not when applied to people to say that if a country is a certain way, therefore we don't want the people. That doesn't ring true to me as as somebody who still tries to be a Christian and is just really disappointed in a religion where John 3.16 is one of the key verses, for God so loved the world. And I'm saying this both to express what faith means to me, but also to people who do not believe in Christianity or religion to say, don't paint Christians a certain way. What I see in religion can be really beautiful. It can Uh be. And we all really need to value each other and move toward that. It's, It's why I try to limit name-calling and other things, and I'm not saying I always succeed, but we need to be better. And looking at the rest of the world, to think more highly of people, and not just have an America-first philosophy, which in some respects is an America-only philosophy. Mm -hmm. I know, because I used to be (laughs) America-first. Anything else, JJ? That's all I got. Um, Everyone be better.
So it is our goal this year to have more guests on, including some who may be authors. That's in the pipeline. We may end up having less total podcast. Uh-huh. We still want to do research, provide sources. Uh, we're open to to queries. If you have an interest in being on the podcast, for those of you who may not have heard our interviews with guests, uh, what I aim for is something more along the lines of like the Ezra Klein show, uh-huh. where it's not just a straight up interview, but it's an interview where the other person is bringing their expertise and experience but where we are also going to share our expertise and experience, and it's going to be more of a collaborative discussion, which you know, we ultimately hope will be enriching for both the, the guest and for our audience. And also as a reminder, on our website, we have, we have the phone numbers to the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is 888-373-7884. Or if you're in Colorado, Colorado has its own human trafficking hotline. That phone number is 866-455-5075. Both of those are 24-7 accessible and confidential. And I've gone ahead and we're going to be linking to, it's a line, uh, a website that is listing all books written by people from Chitol countries. So if you're all interested. All right. Until next time, let's all try to be better and uh, challenging myself as much as everyone else. Here we go. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been Speaker for the Living. For extended notes and sources, visit our website at speakerfortheliving.com.